This podcast today was not one of my original podcasts that I had on my list. But about three months ago, God put this in my heart and it came pretty hard, pretty strong. And uh, he's, it's taken me about three months or so to get it together like God wants it. He's added some stuff, took some stuff away. Nonetheless, we've worked diligently on this, and I don't know the hours that's been put into it, but all goes to the glory of God. And this will be probably one of the most, if not the most important podcast or lesson that I have ever taught. I feel that strong and that urgent about what God has given me and what God has showed me. The title of this podcast is The Lighthouse, and this is going to be part one. It got to be so long, I had to break it into two sessions. So we start now with The Lighthouse, part one. Well, what is a lighthouse? A lighthouse is a tall structure with a bright light in the top. It sticks up above everything else so it can be easily seen and it is built on solid rock along the shoreline of a sea. The purpose of the lighthouse is to warn ships of dangerous shoals, shallows, perilous rock outcrops, and rocky shores, and to guide ships safely in and out of harbors. It is to save lives and keep ships from crashing and being destroyed. The first lighthouse was not a house at all. A concerned monk would build a fire on the rocks next to the sea during the storm and fog to give the ship a sense of direction. I guess he was tired of seeing ships crash on the rocks and lives lost, and he decided to do what he could to save lives. Although it was small, he put forth an effort to do something. He built the fire. The first real lighthouse was built in Ireland between 300 to 280 BC. It was about 450 feet tall. And eventually over time, there were about 18,700 lighthouses built worldwide. What started with one man building a small fire to save lives developed into a worldwide campaign of lighthouses being built all over the entire world. The church is a lighthouse to the world. It is built on solid rock, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. And he is that rock that his church is founded on. And it is on the shore of the sea of life. And it stands out above the world like a city set on a hill to shine its light unto the lost and those on the sea of life. Jesus is light. And he said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. The purpose of the church is to lift Jesus Christ so his light can shine out into the lost and the dying. Well, there was a small group of people gathered together in the upper room in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. Its cloven tongues like as a fire set upon each of them. A fire started that day 
and began spreading over the world. It eventually came to Azusa Street in California in 1906. And from there, it started spreading all over America as well as overseas. Well, in the 1920s and 30s, those revival fires came to Anzali and Hodge, Louisiana. Some ladies in Hodge wanted to rescue souls from the rocks of sin, and so they built a fire. It was called a prayer meeting. The first church here was not a building, but a brush arbor. The first real lighthouse built in Hodge was a small wooden white building, which was called the Tabernacle. It had no indoor plumbing, no air conditioner, no padded pews, and it had a wood stove for heat. It did have electricity for lights, and it was just about two weeks ago, uh, for some reason, people started sharing some pictures of that original lighthouse in Hodge on Facebook. Someone made me aware of it. I thought, well, that's, that's kind of cool, kind of neat. This is what my podcast is about. People already started looking at it. But looking back. But eventually, the lighthouse's Hodge was moved from the end of the road to out on the main highway where it is today for all to see. This lighthouse was built on Jesus Christ, the solid rock, with his word as a guiding light that shines in darkness on the sea of life in this dark world. Biblical doctrine, holiness, and separation from the world were taught. It is still standing today because it was built on a solid spiritual foundation. The lighthouse in Hodge, Louisiana, known as the Hodge UPC, has been a light in my life as long as I can remember and I'm 76 years old. I cannot remember not having that light in my life. Around five in the evening on church nights, Brother Miller, a pastor at that time, would play the chimes at the church. They could be heard all over Hodge and parts of Jonesboro. And as a young lad out playing, my mother would tell us that if we could hear the chimes, we knew it was time to come and start getting ready for church. Right now, I just want you to imagine yourself standing on the seashore, looking out over the sea. The sea represents the world. The land represents the church. And our lives are ships. And I am forever grateful that someone built a lighthouse in Hodge. Many a time during my life, especially my teen years, I would have been lost at sea if it had not been for that lighthouse in Hodge. I do not ever want to forget that. And I must repeat that. If it was not for the lighthouse in Hodge, I would not be sitting where I'm sitting today. And I would not be what I am today, living for God and enjoying the blessings of God. But as I got older and my, I began to call what you might say, sell on my own, I began to do what Brother Miller called dabble in the world. That was a favorite phrase of his. You know, I, I guess I kind of understood what he's talking about, but it really, I guess really it wasn't until I started doing, writing this podcast that I, I really understood what he's talking about because I began to look back on my life and see where I made mistakes and errors. 
And it all started with me dabbling in the world. I did not get out very deep. I just waded around the shoreline. I did not go nuts and start drinking, smoking and all that. I just hung out with the wrong people. I feared and respected God too much to get too crazy. <clears throat> I was ignoring the good things and the good people in my life and fooling around with the wrong ones. I probably would say, I know I would have saved myself a lot of trouble, a lot of disappointment, a lot of heartache if I'd have just never dabbled in the world and fooled with the wrong people and the wrong things and stayed where I needed to stay and be with the people that I needed to be with. But nonetheless, I would come to church and then at the church, I'd get with my worldly friends. Now, if you run with the world, I run with the world, we will be influenced by the world. Let me say that again. If you run with the world, you will be influenced by the world. I know. And that is why that we have to be careful who our friends are. And not only that, we got to be careful with what and who we associate with. And that what plays a big part in it too. But I was just wading around in the shallows, dabbling in the world. I did not know about riptides, but riptides develop in real shallow water and are strong enough to pull you out to sea where you cannot get back and drown. Most drownings in the ocean, that's what happens to people. The riptides gets them and carries them out to sea and they can't get back and they drown. Well, I never did get caught up in the riptides in the ocean but the riptide of the world caught me and pulled me away from the lighthouse or the church. I was trying to fight it, but it was too strong for me. Then the unexpected thing happened. One of my good friends who was not in the church was unexpectedly killed in an automobile accident. And I felt like I had not witnessed to him like I should have. And I felt guilt. And this bothered me. Satan even told me that I could not be saved now. Satan made me think there was no use to pray. He wanted me to fail so he could claim my soul. And being young, I did not know how to deal with the devil. I did not understand his tricks. And I thought once I failed that that was it. I was already further away from church than I needed to be, but the devil was using these other things to bit me out even further and to destroy my faith. But I later learned that God is merciful. He will restore us and He will help us. The thing that we so often forget is found in Ephesians 6 and 12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers. Folks, this is not a game. We're not dealing with people, things, but we're dealing with principalities and powers. And Satan can get a hold on us to the point that we cannot break it by ourselves. See, I had put myself in a position or place that allowed those spirits to get into my mind. 
And if it had not been for the lighthouse at Hodge, I would have been lost at sea. So I know where you're at, backslider. Satan has told you it is no use. You have gone too far. But I'm here to tell you, it is a lie. He does not want you to be saved. So let me ask all of us, where would we and our families be today if it were not for the lighthouse? And those that saw the need years ago to build a fire and those that came after them and kept the flames burning. Families of the world today are losing loved ones to drug overdoses, suicide, and sin. Just sin itself is just destroying lives and young people right and left. Depression, violence. Our schools have turned into a cesspool of sin. And little by little, Satan is attacking and trying to destroy the order that God placed in the world or on this earth, and that is the nuclear family, married man and woman with children. First, it was the head of the house, then the family, and now the target is the children. And I hope to be able to address this in more detail in another podcast. But this is something we need to be aware of. We live in a dark world today, a dark, dark world. And there's no light that will penetrate that darkness except the light of God, the Word of God. So you look around everything that's going on and man, where I need a safe place for me to go. I need a safe place to take my family. I need a safe place, a safe haven for my children. Well, the church or the lighthouse is that place. Jesus said, I am the light that shineth in darkness. And we definitely need his light in this dark world today. We need to instill into our families and children the importance of the lighthouse. It is the most important place in our lives. No activity can supersede coming to the house of God. There is no better place to take your family and children. Ten years are a difficult time for young people and even more so in the world we live in today. This world today has no values nor offers any hope for anyone. Teens are trying to find their way, figure out who they are, what they want to do in life, and so on. It can be a time of temptation and a time of darkness in one's life. That is why the church is so important in a teenager's life for anyone for that fact. Our children need those values, direction, security, and light that the church provides. Our lives should be built around the church. In other words, all our plans and activities should be planned around what is going on at the church. In the Old Testament, the people camped around the tabernacle. The tabernacle was in the center of the camp. Their lives and daily routines were centered and built around the tabernacle of the church or the lighthouse. When they walked out of the tent each morning, this was the first thing they saw, the tabernacle. Each tribe had its specific place to camp. And part of this was to protect the tabernacle from attack. 
And we need to protect the teachings of the church today, its standards, and those things that keep us from the world. We're all on the sea of life, and that light that we are following will depend on where we land. I'm thankful for the Lighthouse at Hodge because it is there that I was taught that God and the church came first in our lives. That is the reason we have to be careful about worldly activities because we get involved in them and when church time comes, in a lot of cases, we choose the activity over the church. And like I said earlier, I'm 76 years old, so I'm gonna speak a little bit or a whole lot today as an elder. I've seen a lot of things. I've witnessed a lot of things. And in my observations, it happens so many times that when people get involved in worldly activities, then those things take the place of church so many times. Deuteronomy 6.14 says, You shall not go after other gods, other gods of the people which are round about you. I'm just going to give you a little something to think about. Now, there may not be a statue or an image erected, but they still have their gods. Where are they at on weekends? Where are they at on Sundays? What are they spending their money on? What comes first in their lives? And I'm going to tell you, most of these gods are anti-American and anti-God. You let something good about America come up, or God, they won't stand for that. Now, America was built on the freedom of religion. And that's the reason that God has blessed America the way it has, because of his faith in God and being a friend to Israel. But we're losing those things today. So what and who do they support? And what do they stand up for? I'll tell you a lot about them. Exodus 23:33 says, For if thou serve their gods, it will surely be a snare unto you. The first two snares that are going to show up, like I mentioned earlier, you're going to miss church or youth activities. Snare number one. Snare number two, you're going to compromise your godly standard of holiness and dress. There are going to be other snares, but my observation, that's the first two that shows up. You know, we can go buy a car, just look at it from the outside. We don't really know what we got. We have to raise the hood, is the old saying. See what's in there, what's under the hood, what, the, what kind of shape is the engine in, the motor in. And that's a lot of these things, you know, that before we start getting involved in, we need to raise the hood and look in there and see what it's all about. But we need to shine our light in front of our families. They need to know that we pray. They need to see us reading our Bibles. We need to discuss right and wrong with them and warn them of the dangers they face. And we definitely need to teach them how to live 
in today's world. The youth today are, are dealing with things and having to make decisions about things that we didn't have to fool with. It was just a common uh, known thing in our day. You know, our society just didn't accept this. This just wasn't right. But nowadays, society is telling them that it is right. We gotta teach them how to navigate all of this. And the three Hebrews, boys and Daniel, would not have survived captivity if they had not been taught. They were taught by their families, and then when they went into captivity, they knew what they had to do. And our children today will not survive if we do not teach them. 2 Corinthians 6, 14. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers? And in 2 Corinthians 5 and 7, we understand that we no longer share a common lifestyle with unbelievers. So we cannot be yoked up with God and the world trying to raise our families. It will not work. But the church is going to pull in one direction and the world's going to pull in another. It just will not work. And in today's world, it seems that sometimes it is hard to tell where the church ends and the world starts. Kind of like where salt water meets fresh water in the bayous along the coast. It's not fresh water and it's not salt, but a mixture of the two and it's called brackish water. A few species of fish can live in brackish water, but for most it is toxic and they cannot survive. It has been said that the past is essential for understanding the present and is also for shaping the future. We have to understand the past so we can understand the future and then let it shape our future. So let's take a quick look in the past. We're gonna go all the way back in the Old Testament. There was some that said in the Old Testament, you don't have to go back to Jerusalem to worship like your fathers, mothers, or grandmother did. You don't have to do all that stuff those old people did. It's not necessary. You don't have to do what your grandmother or your mother did. Second, 1 Kings 12, 28-31 says, Whereupon the king took counsel, made two calves of gold, and said unto them, It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Behold, thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And he set the one in Bethy, and the other put he in Dan. And this thing became sin. And this thing became sin. For the people went to worship before the one even unto Dan, and he made a house of high places and made priests of the lowest of the people, which were not of the sons of Levi. In other words, they were unqualified to teach. Just like the Bible says, if the blind lead the blind, they both are going to fall in the ditch. We are to rightly, we're told to rightly divide the word of truth. That means correctly and responsibly. In other words, give them God's word, not our word. And I see so many that want to give people their word, not God's word. 
woe be unto you. That's all I can say. All right, we've looked way back in the past. Now let's take a look at the present and see what God said about the days in which we live now. Let's compare the two. That was in the Old Testament, so this is New Testament. 2 Timothy 4, 3 through 4. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. This is what God was telling us. He's warning us. It's coming. But after their own lust, will they heat to themselves teachers, what they did in the Old Testament, they just got their own teachers. One who, they're going to tell us what we want to hear. Having itching ears, and they should turn away their hearts from the truth and shall be turned into fables. Now those are not my words. That's in the Bible. Those are the words of God. He's letting us know. He warned us. We have no excuse for not knowing and being aware. So this is happening in our world right now. People no longer want to hear sound doctrine. Try to give them a little sound doctrine to see what you, kind of reaction you get out of most people. But we've looked at the past to understand the present. What we're dealing with now doesn't happen in the Old Testament. And that thing became sin under them. And we were just told right here, if we don't endure sound doctrine, it's going to turn away our ears from the truth. We'll be turned into fables, lies. We'll just make up our own stuff. You know, you get to the point you won't be your own God, I don't think you're going to be able to save yourself. So, hey, one thing going to save us, and that's the Word of God. And that's the Word we need. That's the Word you better go after. And I, I, I remember the old-timer used to say, They'd be plowing them old mules and stuff out there in the cornfield or in the garden and the wind would blow and rustle the corn or something and them old mules or horses would jump. It would scare them. And that old farmer said, tell them, to them mules, you're scared of the very thing you need a lot of. In other words, you need all that corn. You need them vegetables, but you're scared of them. That's where a lot of people are about the Word of God. They're scared of the Word of God, the very thing they need a lot of. We all need a lot of the Word of God. I need all I can get. I'll take it. I'll take it. Yes, sir. But see, here's the thing. People have always wanted a free trip to heaven. They want it easy. Well, it doesn't work that way. Proverbs 23, 23 says, By the truth, and sell it not. What? You mean it's going to cost me something? It's going to cost you something. You've got to buy it and sell it not. So I guess the question to ask today, what is our price? What's my price if I sell? For Judas, it was 30 pieces of silver. For the Jews, it was a thief. And an ass and sapphire is a little money and a lie. This is not something to play with. And I, 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 that's one of the things that I hope we can all grasp. This thing is bigger than us. I've never seen anybody that fooled with God's word and played with God's truth and played with God's church and won. You can find an example of that form in the Bible. I appreciate you showing it to me, but you're not going to find it. It's not there. They always lost. Well, look what happened 
to those that sold out. Judas, yeah, that third piece of silver looked really good. He thought he had him something. But it wasn't long he went out and he hung himself. That was a true cost for him selling out. The Jews traded the thief for Jesus. But the Jewish nation and the Jewish people are still bearing that burden today. They're still bearing the responsibilities of what their forefathers did. They have suffered mightily for selling Jesus for a thief. And Ananias and Sapphira, we all know that story. They didn't get to enjoy that money they kept. They dropped dead and buried that same day. The point is, whether you buy or whether you sell, it's going to cost you. There is no way around it. Brother Jimmy Culpepper made the decision to not go out for track in high school. He looked past the present and into the future and decided that he would rather his wife wear a heavenly garment rather than a temporarily letter jacket on this earth. He looked at heavenly things, not earthly things. He made an investment into the truth and into the future of his family. His family is in the church today because he decided to buy the truth and not sell. I wonder what the result would have been if he'd have sold instead of buying. Moses bought into the truth when he decided to suffer the afflictions with the children of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Pleasures of sin for a season. Earthly decisions are seasonal. They're temporary. Heavenly decisions are eternal. Brother Robert Stroud, he traded a good paying job to be in the ministry and to teach God's truth. He didn't say, he wasn't selling out, but he saw, he sold his birthright for a bowl of soup. And we're all making deals every day. I know of a Pentecostal young man that was a very talented musician. He was offered a job with a professional band, but he decided to not sell the truth and he was later called into the ministry. I've seen some sell out for a job or profession, but today their children and grandchildren's lives are a mess. And we make decisions thinking it's not gonna affect nobody. We think it's not even gonna affect us, but in the end we lose out, then our family lose out, then our children and grandchildren, they're not brought up in this truth and, and their lives are a mess. Some of them even die early and young. And they, I mean, the parents, the grandparents had it, but they sold it for a job or profession. Like I said earlier, where you buy, where you sell, it's gonna cost you. Peter wouldn't sell out. He told him, just crucify me upside down. Hey, they, they told John, we're gonna boil you in oil. He said, well, just light the fire is all I know to tell you. Stephen, the stone. He said, Lord, hold this, not send not to the charge. They don't understand what they're doing. Stephen knew what he had. All those people knew what they had. That's the reason they wouldn't sell. So what is our price today? Did you sell Jesus for worldliness? Immodesty? 
entertainment, popularity, acceptance, styles, boyfriend or girlfriends. You may not realize it, but our actions and lifestyles every day tell our price. A lot of people today have what I call Burger King religion. But Burger King has this slogan, have it your way. You want your hamburger with onion or without onion? You can have it with, with lettuce or without lettuce, with tomato or without tomato. Or you say, just, I want go light on the mayonnaise, or no mayonnaise. You have, have, have it your way. That's the way so many people are about their religion, about their walk with God. Lord, I don't want that separation from the world. Just cut that out. Go light on the holiness. You know, Burger King religion, give it to me my way. But Jesus said, for what shall it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Now those are the words of Jesus, not mine. If my words, I don't expect them to sober you too much, but I think the words of Jesus should, because he's, he's asking us today, well, what is your price? What are we gonna give in exchange for our soul? Is it gonna be some of this worldly stuff? What's it gonna be? Jesus is asking, what is your price? But we are Gentiles adopted or grafted in by God. We weren't in the original plan of salvation. But the Jews rejected God, and we Gentiles better be glad they did, because up until that time, we were considered heathens. But God grafted us in. He accepted us. But I'm afraid that so many today, they want the Jewish blessing of salvation and the Jewish blessing of provisions and blessings, but they want it with a Gentile or the worldly lifestyle. So, you gotta be Jew or you gotta be Gentile. For all is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. What does this flesh desire? What does these eyes desire? You know? All that lust is not of God. It's of the world. If you lust in worldly things, your eyes want worldly things, that's not of God. It's of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. And, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. He that selleth not out abideth forever. The lust of the flesh is still the lust of the flesh. And the pride of life is still the pride of life. And the lust of the eyes today is still the lust of the eyes. It's just more available, but we'll justify ourselves. And the church is not a place to come get a good feeling and go back and play around in the world and come back to get another blessing. Come back and get your spiritual high. There's more to this than shouting at church. We need to live it and walk it when we leave the church. I've told my grandkids, raising them, 
Your shout at church is important, but what's more important than that shout at church is your walk when you leave that church. Our walk outside the church is proof of who and what we really are. That's who we really are. Paul speaking to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1 and 5, he said, when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that it's, it's in you too. He's telling Tim, I'm persuaded that you've got what your mother had and you got what the grandmother had. Is it, you got the same, Timothy? Or have you changed it? Or have you laid some things aside? you sold some things? He said, but I'm persuaded that it's in thee also. Kind of put him on the spot, it seems like to me. In 2 Timothy 3, 14, but continue thou in the things which thou hast learned. What you learned, continue in that. And you've been assured of those things, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Who'd you learn them from? Your mother, your grandmother, that old preacher. Not from ungodly people, worldly people. We're supposed to stay in the things that we have learned. We need to keep the light burning. Make sure that there will be a lighthouse for our children. There's a song that we're going to play in part of this broadcast, Cutting Tire of the Lighthouse, and part of that says, everybody around us is saying, tear that old lighthouse down. But I don't think that today they're not saying tearing the church down. But what they are saying is, we got to pick you know, this doctrine apart. Let's just don't, you know, we got to kind of dim that light a little bit. It's just a little bit too bright. Let's, you know, kind of like it did in the Old Testament and just like we've been told in the New Testament, not endured sound doctrine. But we have to make sure that there will be a lighthouse for our children. They passed it down. So I have to ask, do we have what Grandma had? If not, then we have lost something along the way. Am I teaching my children what Grandma taught me? Am I an example to my children that my parents and grandparents were to me? I'm asking you out there, you young adults and you older adults, are you teaching your children what your mother and your grandmother taught you? Paul says you're supposed to be. And I'm the example to my children that my parents and grandparents were to me. Or am I fulfilling 2 Timothy 4 and not enduring sound doctrine? That concludes part one of the lighthouse. I'll have part, we will do part two. And in part two, what we're going to look at is what the founding fathers of this lighthouse had. Do we still have what they had? We're going to look at that. Paul said we're supposed to. That's what we're going to examine in part two. God bless. There's a lighthouse.
Stands up there on a hill. 